Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, please. Isaiah, chapter 42, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 42. I hope as we see this together that you'll be getting a glimpse of God's revealed revelation in the Old Testament and filters into the New Testament as we look at God's progressive revelation that God shows himself from the Old Testament right through into the New Testament, who he is and his purposes. We're in Isaiah chapter 42. I'm going to break into the context. The whole context has to do with Messiah, the Messiah coming, the promised one to the nation of Israel, the one we know to be our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to break through just to show you a piece of this section in Isaiah 42. Look, please, at verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, quoted in the New Testament in various ways, and I will hold thine hand, and I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant, that is a contract, to the people for a light unto the nations, even unto the Gentile nations, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoner from the prison, and those who sit in darkness out of the prison house. So the purpose of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ was just to do that, to bring light to darkness, to bring light to darkness, a darkened world. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Our Lord indicates this in John, chapter 12. Let's look at verses 46 through 48 of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 46, right through 48. <clears throat> this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and he says this in verse 46, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not in to judge the world, but that the world would be saved. And he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. Even the word that I have spoken shall judge him in the last day. So our Lord Jesus Christ made the proclamation that he was the one that has come as light into the darkness to, to if you would, uh, expose the world and, and the entire creation to God's perfect plan of redemption through through himself and his work. Paul recognized this, and he recognized the exceeding sinfulness of his own heart when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But he also realized God's perfect salvation plan. If you turn with me there, please, 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is speaking, of course, to Timothy, writing uh, his first of two letters to the person Timothy, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm interested only in verse 15. Again, breaking into the context. <clears throat> Paul proclaims this, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul recognized, and, and the realization was given to Timothy, that he was a great sinner before the living God, but that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world to save sinners. That's the reason, if you would, for the season. That's the 
proclamation that was given. But this is so incomprehensible, it's almost an unexplainable event. God explains it, but to comprehend it completely is difficult for us. That the creator of the universe stepped into time and space and took upon himself the likeness of men. And we read in, in the book of Philippians, and being found in the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Beyond, beyond description. Paul, Paul put it this way, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the nations, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. God came and submitted himself to his creatures, submitted himself to his uh, creation. His coming uh, was, it, the purpose of his coming was to permeate that darkness with the light of the gospel of his death. The good news that the second Adam had come to die in my place for my sin. For the sin, not my sin only, but the sin of the whole world, we read in 1 John. I read one time an article, and uh, if I can just share it with you, I read it in a, a Christian magazine that I thought it was, it was good, and it was on this time of season. On March 5th, 1994, Deputy Sheriff Lloyd Prescott was teaching a class for police officers in, Salt Lake City, in a Salt Lake City library. He stepped into the hallway and he noticed the gunman herding 18 hostages into the next room. Dressed in his street clothes, Prescott joined the group as the 19th uh, hostage and followed them into the room, and the door was shut. When the gunman announced the order in which the hostages would be executed, Prescott identified himself as an officer. And in the scuffle that followed, Prescott, in self-defense, fatally shot the armed man, and the hostages were released unharmed. And then the writer of this article sums it up like this. God, dressed in street clothes, entered our world, joining those held hostages uh, that were hostaged in sin, and that he died on the cross of Calvary to defeat Satan and set us free from the power of sin. I thought it was a pretty good example, so I wanted to share that with you. What we want to look at for just a few minutes we have together, again, is the purpose of the incarnation. Now, you know this. So just hang on to this thought, but turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the purpose of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find in Genesis chapter 3, the conflict of the ages, that is, <clears throat> upon Adam's fall, God pronounced judgment upon the whole world. And in doing that, God also did not leave the world hopeless and helpless in that he promised Messiah to come. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, uh, in verse 14, God speaking to the devil here, uh, Satan, the ruler of this present world, and said this, verse 14, 
And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between <clears throat> thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. The enmity was the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, 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 uh, the, the seed, the promised seed to come. And he shall bruise or literally crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we know that to be the, the, the battle raging from that moment on to our present day. It's the seed of the woman, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the seed of the, the, the devil, which we know to be demonism in the world and, a, and fallen men. So as we look at this, so I want us to, to kind of filter through what God said in the Old Testament and what he says in the New Testament. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 for a moment, please. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. The battle is between the seed. In Galatians chapter 3, <clears throat> let's look, please, right at verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3. God, of course, his program working down through the ages, through the generations, his purpose and plan is seen in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we read in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Till the seed should come. The Messiah, the one that was going to come and break the bondage of sin for eternity. His work on Calvary's cross, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I do not profess to you to, to completely comprehend all of it. It's, it's incomprehensible in many cases. But to look at it through the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, the Spirit of God using the Word of God in our life, to understand the colossal events of, of this time of year that we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, uh, what we see the world doing and what even some Christian organizations are doing borders on demonic deception. It just borders on demonic deception the way some individuals and organizations celebrate this time of year. What does a penguin have to do with Christ? What, what does any of it have to do with Christ? And yet, God allows us to celebrate this time of year with great joy. That's what, that's what happened in Bethlehem of Judea. We're allowed to celebrate, but to stay within the confines, if you would, of, of, of Christendom, of, of the Word of God. Try not to expand upon something and make something up that does not fit the Word of God. So we want to look at this incarnation of Christ, if we could, right? Starting in the beginning, realizing that the seed was to come. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 2 for a moment, please. The very incarnation itself, you're familiar with the, the scriptures of uh, Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, let's pick it right up, if we could, right in verse 8. 
You know, of course, this whole section. It's a wonderful section of the scriptures. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This would have been Bethlehem of, of, of Judah, in which uh, we'll see Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, as was prophesied in the Old Testament. But the angels in the evening were watching over their flocks. There was a need for that because of robbers and because of animals in that uh, time. Uh, in verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very much afraid. I think that's one of the um, understatements in Scripture. Very much afraid. An angel would have had to shake me by the lapel and say, wake up. You know, just imagine you're out in the field at night watching your sheep at very quiet, very peaceable time. And a multitude of the heavenly hosts come. And now I don't, it does not say they sang. I, I do believe they did because the angels sang at the creation. And I think here the very same thing. But what are they doing? They're singing. Uh, for the glory of God. And these men were frightened by it. Verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, or the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For 400 years, for 400 years there's been no information from God. There's been very little or nothing having to do with the nation of Israel. And the promise was 4,000 years ago that God would send Messiah. And this great, great promise is now brought to these men. Shepherds were not really held in high esteem. It was a, it, it was a low-paying job. It was a, a, a menial-type task to be a shepherd. And who did God come to? He came to the shepherds in a field. There was a 4,000-year wait for Messiah, 400 years without God speaking to the nation, except now through John the baptizer, of course. Uh, but think about the colossal event of, Christ, uh, of the Christ to come. And notice what is said here, verse 12. And you shall... And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God. We just sang that. I don't know if they did the hallelujahs after it, but they just, we just sang that. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill toward men. The great event takes place. To who? Shepherds. Where? In a field. And of course you have them uh, immediately headed to Bethlehem. Look at verse uh, 15. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them uh, into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us go even unto Bethlehem and let us see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all they that heard of it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So we'll stop right there. 
the, the event of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into time and space, the incarnation of Christ, what a colossal, colossal event. That's why we're here this morning. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you recognize that you are a sinner without hope headed for eternal damnation, and you put your trust in his substitutionary atonement for your sin, you ought to just rejoice at this colossal event. We all do. A wonder, a wonder of all wonders that Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief among sinners. What an event. Our Lord spoke about this. Turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24, same book. Luke chapter 24. We'll start right in verse 25. This is after his resurrection and just prior to his ascension. In Luke chapter 24, look at verse 25, please. Then he said unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Remember, the disciples, they were just distressed. Why? Because the Lord had come. They saw his work. They saw his wonder. They saw the miracles which he did. They heard his word, which was dynamic, living, and powerful, sharper than any two edges. So they saw it, and they heard it all. What? He died. He died. And our Lord Jesus Christ points to them and says, listen, you, you need to think about this. Think about all you've learned from Old Testament Think about all you've learned from the prophets. You're slow in heart to believe. Read it. Think about it. Verse uh, uh, 26. Ought not Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? You've read that in Isaiah chapter 53, for example. You've read it throughout the book of Ezekiel and Daniel, the Old Testament prophet. You've read that. Ought not Christ have to come and enter into his glory, suffered these things and to enter into his glory, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So his proclamation to the, these disciples that walked along the Emmaus Road that they might recognize and realize who he was and the purpose, his purposes. Look at verse 44, please, same Book, same chapter, Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. What is the purpose of this? What was the reason for the incarnation of Christ? What was it, to heal people? Well, that was part of it because it was proclaimed Messiah. Was it to... to uh, to, for example, give people food. Well, that was part of it. God's word proclaimed that that would be part of Messiah coming. But what was the purpose of the incarnation? It was to die on Calvary's cross. And as we look at this time of year for all of us, uh, what is our concentration? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else. We get caught up with it, you know, the time of year. We get caught up with all the things, the baubles and the and everything that, that surrounds it. And it, it gives us some, people gives a feeling of euphoria, joy to have this time of year. And it, people are excited, and I understand it all, but what's the real purpose? What's the real purpose behind it all? Well, it's to get together and have fruitcake. 
At the end of the year, there's a fruitcake toss. You ever see that? You throw these hardened cakes out in the air and try and sink ships with them and things like that. <coughs> What's the real purpose? The purpose is the incarnation of Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ came. And that's what we're to celebrate. And all the other things are good and fun, some of them, and, 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 and they're not necessarily unscriptural, but you can see the deception of Satan taking those things off into this area. Why? To keep men blinded in their sin. To keep men blinded in their sin. So let's look at some passages, if we could, please. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. To begin with, Messiah had to be of the seed or a descendant of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Messiah had to be a descendant of Abraham. Now, we're only going to look at a few of these, please, so don't think I'm going to stay too, too long here. We're only going to look at a few, but recognize the program and process of God. God said to the devil, her seed would defeat you. And as you look at the seed all the way down through the ages of uh, history, uh, some people call it a, a red thread down through history. But if you look at the process of the seed, Satan all along the way tried to defeat the seed. Uh, deception, destroy the seed. He tried to anyway infiltrate the seed so it would not come through uh, the lineage uh, that it was supposed to. But we read in Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 3 with me for a moment. And God's speaking to Abraham and he says, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, be, behind the, the curse was satanic. Behind the curse. But the blessing was going to be the seed of Mary, the Christ child. And, and it'd be hard for, for us if we were just if we were there at that moment at that time to to understand this. It, there isn't much background, but as we look at God's progressive revelation, we see, oh yes, that's how it fits together. He was to be a descendant of Abraham. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter one and verse one. Matthew chapter one and verse one, the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, given through Matthew. And also through, of course, uh, Mary's genealogy uh, in Luke. But Matthew chapter 1, the promised seed to come was to be of the genealogy of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, right in uh, <coughs> Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So the writer of, of, of Matthew skips right down through, the, through all of, the, of, of many of the descendants, but he lets us know that the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ came through Abraham to David, of which our Lord Jesus Christ was the seed of David to sit upon the throne in uh, Bethlehem. Let's look at another one, please. This is very interesting. Uh, he must come from the tribe of Judah. He must come from the tribe of Judah. And we see that in, in the book of the, uh, well, let, let's look at the Genesis chapter 49, please. Genesis chapter 49. 
Now, if you can't follow along, just hold on to the pew and we'll, we'll read them. But in Genesis chapter 49, uh, look with me, please, right at uh, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Genesis 49, 9 and 10. Judah is a lion's whelp. This is Jacob's prophetic blessing, if you would, to, to the nation of Israel, to the 12 tribes. And he says, uh, Judah, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as an old lion shall, uh, shall rouse, rouse him up. So the, the prophecy has to do with uh, Judah himself, but I want you to see how the prophetic uh, shadows come forth unto Messiah, verse 10. <clears throat> the, shep, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Shiloh, the, the process of our Lord Jesus Christ coming in flesh. Shiloh himself. Uh, it's cryptic for the one that shall come, the one that shall rule in the whole world. Shiloh will come. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we have that through the genealogy of, of Mary. But turn with me to Revelation chapter 5 for a moment, please. Revelation chapter 5. So as we look at the scriptures, we understand that God had a perfect purpose and plan that filtered down through the, through the ages for us to examine, for us to see, for us to compare the scriptures with the scriptures. Revelation chapter 5. Look, please, at uh, verse uh, 1 of Revelation chapter 5, 5. And I saw at the right hand of him that sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the back seal with seven seals. This has to do, of course, with the scroll judgments that will come at the end of the great uh, tribulation period. And I saw, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither look on it. And as I wept much, behold, no man was found worthy to open and to read the scroll, neither to look on it. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah that was to come, the seed of David. And you can follow that through, of course, uh, the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3 and verse 33, also in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it, he must be an heir of David, David's throne. He has to be an heir of David. Turn with me, please, to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We looked at this in our uh, with our... Uh, reading this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to skip uh, in Isaiah to Isaiah chapter 9. We know this. I've received Christmas cards, of which I'm very, very thankful. <clears throat> My wife writes out Christmas cards, of which I'm very thankful. Uh, but we receive Christmas cards, and often... Uh, they'll have a verse on them, and often it's this verse. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son of God is given, or a son is given. 
and upon his sho- and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon, uh, notice, no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it. Notice, the throne of David, a descendant of David. Why? Because David was given that blessing. David was given that honor that there would always be a seed to sit upon the throne of David through the generations. And of course, it culminated with our Lord Jesus Christ. The place of his birth, very, very important. Very important. Turn with me, please, to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Micah chapter 5. Look with me, please, at verse 2. You're very aware of this passage as well. I just bring it back to your mind by way of remembrance. In Micah chapter 5, look with me at verse 2. We break into the prophecy here and the proclamation of where Messiah would be born. But thou, Bethlehem, Epaphratha, a fertile ground, fertile land. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what what complicates this matter is uh, David was born in Bethlehem of Judea. David was born there. So the Jews take that and say, well, see, that wasn't talking about Messiah. That was talking about King David. However, when Micah adds in there, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting, that enters Messiah, the Messiah himself. Yes, David was born in Bethlehem of Judea. What's so interesting about this is I've traveled to Bethlehem uh, many, many times when I took people to the nation of Israel, over a dozen times, and we would travel to Bethlehem and it was such a wonderful, wonderful place to go and visit and to see all of these, uh, these great events. Uh, it then fell under Palestinian authority. And when it did that, uh, I would not bring anyone to, uh, to Bethlehem any longer because it became a treacherous place to go. Uh, one of the last times I was there, we, uh, we were wondering if we were going to escape with our lives, actually. It was, it was pretty frightening. And I had a whole bunch of people with me that... <laughs> caused me some worry there. But as, uh, as we, you go to Bethlehem, you go to the traditional place that Christ was supposedly born, and you see uh, there's a shrine built over it and all this business, and no one knows if that was the exact place. But as you travel through Bethlehem, you'll go to, in Bethlehem itself, Bethlehem proper, you'll go to many, many caves. There were many caves in the ground, and uh, virtually, that is where all of the people lived. They actually lived in caves, uh, both in the mountainsides and on the ground. The reason for that, it was there was very little or no lumber around uh, to deal with. Some of the lumber, they made some furnishings out of it. But remember, every nation that conquered Israel uh, actually cut down the trees just to defile the land. They even salted the land in some cases. But as you saw these caves you'd see that out in the front of the cave, out front, there was a, a type of a yard there, and it was always stoned in. 
And that's really where our Lord was born. Uh, there was no room for him in the inn, inside the cave. He was really born outside in what we would know to be a paddock, outside. There he was born right with the animals outside because there was no room inside of the cave for him. Just a, uh, when you see it, it just brings it all to light in your mind. <clears throat> and we, of course, we have a, a conception of, of a, a manger scene, and I understand that because our, our English minds would go right to a barn type thing where they kept cattle, but that's not the case. Also in Bethlehem, Bethlehem is where the primary Passover sacrificial lamb came from. He would always come from Bethlehem. And the reason for that is they, they, they bred and, and produced such pure lambs in Bethlehem that that town was selected just a few miles from Jerusalem to be where the sacrificial lamb came from. These things fit together so beautifully, don't they? Why? Because he, Messiah, is the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, come from Bethlehem. So he is supposed to come from Bethlehem. Now, how do we, how do we know that that's where he came from? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, please. Back to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 1, and look with me, please. In Luke chapter 1, look at verse, uh, verses, well, we looked at that. What do I want here? Who knows what I want? I don't know what I want. <laughs> oh, yes, in, in Luke chapter 1, head with me, please, to uh, verse, we can start right in verse 3. Caesar Augustus proclaimed a registration. Now, uh, History tells us about every 10 to 14 years, about every 10 to 14 years, the Roman government would proclaim a registration. And that registration was for purposes of knowing how many people were in the kingdom, the, the Roman kingdom, the last uh, kingdom to come. And we're going to see that commercial uh, during our, our Bible uh, time together in, on Monday nights but uh, from the book of Daniel. But must, uh, that the registration was to take place, and the Roman government did that. And so they would have all the people go back to their homeland, go back to the place of their birth, and there they would be registered, or their name would be put on file. I guess one of the biggest reasons was taxation, obviously. You know, a census, if you would, for what reason? To find out who lived where, so the tax bill got there. That's essentially what was going on. And Caesar Augustus, the last world empire, uh, Gentile world empire, he was the one that called for this registration for taxes. And what happened in verse, uh, verse uh, 3? And all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up also from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Verse 6, And it was that while they were there, and the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them 
in the end. So she laid him, uh, he was born there in Bethlehem of Judea. Why was that? Because it was a registration. Why did that happen? Because God said, I need to bring Mary to Bethlehem because that's where he's going to be born. And Mary uh, ended up in Bethlehem with Joseph, of course, and that's where he was born, in Bethlehem of Judea. Why was he there? Because the prophecies said he would be. Because God's word indicated that he would, in fact, be there. What about the timing of his birth? Now, we will not examine it here because we do not have the time to do that. But in the book of Daniel, which we'll be studying on Monday nights, on the book of Daniel, we're, we're going to look at this together, the timing of his birth. His birth was precisely when God said it was. And Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, gives us the timing of the birth of Messiah. When it would happen, from the, from the, uh, from the command to go and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, Nehemiah's commandment unto Messiah the Prince, and God gives exact times there when Messiah would be born, and certainly that's when he was born. And the place that he was born, that's why the king sent uh, the troops there to Bethlehem to kill all of the firstborn children. Why? Because he knew through the prophets that that's where Christ would be born, when he would be born and where he would be born. So he sent uh, the troops there to kill all of the, the children there in Ramah of Bethlehem. So the timing of his born of his birth. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. It was the timing was perfect. It was the right government. It was the right language. It was the right time for everything. We're in the book of Galatians together. Chapter 4, please. In verse 4, reading from a King James Bible, obviously, and we read this. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When, when, did, when was the right time when God said? Where was the right place where God said? Who were the right people? The one God said. What was the right lit liturgy of the man? When God said. And what God said, everything God said, he brings to pass. And might I remind you, God said, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to rule the world. He's coming back, not as a babe, not as a lamb, but as king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. Comes back to earth. When will it happen? in God's timing. What's our job? To live for him, to speak of him, and to be ready for his coming. That's our job. That we not be ashamed when he comes back. God has a plan and a purpose. And we could go through event after event, the virgin birth, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counsel, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. We could go through his flight to Egypt. God said he would go to Egypt in the book of Hosea. God said he'd be called the Nazarene. God said a forerunner would come, John the Baptizer. 
Everything God prophesied about Messiah was truth and came to pass. Everything he says about Messiah coming back is truth and will come to pass. I'm not telling you to, not to have fun this time of year. I do. I love it. I love to get together with friends and family. I just have a wonderful time. But don't let the fact of the reason for the season take away from your mind as a Christian. Don't allow the world's stuff to interfere with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. Thank you that this world that sits in darkness received the glorious light. And Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ lights every man, that every man has opportunity to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Help us, Father, as an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, to shine a light in this present world. Father, we need to recognize that since we've been risen with Christ, we need to seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of the Father. Father, help us to concentrate on him and our, uh, our business to serve him as king. Lord, help us to submit to the written word of God by the spirit of God that we might yield ourselves unto him as he conforms us into the image of his son. Thank you for this time, Father. Thank you for uh, each one here this morning. We pray for those who are ill. We think especially about Pastor Rob, that you return him to us safely, that we might hear uh, from the word of God by your servant, by him. Thank you for this time together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.